So we are actually coming towards the end of our study through the book of Ephesians. And we are just going through the scripture verse by verse. I'm trying to just plainly share with you exactly what I think it says and talk to you about it. But we are in coming to the end of Ephesians, uh, learning about what it means to be a healthy body of Jesus Christ, with Jesus himself as the head of that body. We've been taking that image very seriously. And I confess I hadn't thought about it so particularly until we did this series, this idea that we... Uh, you know, we are the body and Jesus is the head. We are controlled uh, or filled with Jesus and we are, we are his body and his representation in Saratoga Springs. So last week we, we were talking about one verse from scripture, which is Ephesians five twenty one, And some people were thinking, wow, this is all we're going to talk about, one verse? But we did, we had a lot to talk about. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is an interesting verse because this is a sign of being filled with the Holy Spirit. It says in the previous passage, Be not drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to each other in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music in your heart to the Lord with thanksgiving. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's one of the evidences of being filled with the Holy Spirit. So having this attitude where we regularly put ourselves under, subject ourselves to, other people in the body of Christ on a regular basis. The Greek word hypotasso, I talked about last week, it means to obey, to submit to someone's control, to yield to someone's advice or uh, encouragement, to put yourself under, to subject oneself to. And even reading that definition of the Greek word, right away it's something our flesh just doesn't want to do. We're like, no way, <laughs> seriously. This is not, I want to, I want to maintain complete control of my, my little uh, island. Uh, yet it's something the scripture calls us all to do without exception. Men, women, children, we all submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is something that, uh, that Jesus himself did in Philippians 2. Jesus was in very nature God. Jesus was God in the flesh, but he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. He made himself nothing. He took on the nature of a servant. And it says in that passage, we are to imitate Christ's humility, imitate his attitude, in humility, consider other people better than yourselves. Is that easy for people? To look at someone, look around in church, you know? We have these kind of ranking systems. Look at people around you. Do you consider that person better than yourself, or is your attitude, oh yeah, I got it together, that person's, you know. We never say that, but this is what human beings do in their, in their flesh, right? It says also in that passage, to look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And that's really a picture of submission, it's taking our agenda, taking our objectives and priorities and plans and laying them aside to lift up someone else's objectives, priorities, and plans. And that is really hard for us. But this is something that God calls us all to do on a regular basis, submission. I'm the head elder of this church, the senior pastor of this church, and as your head elder and senior pastor, I will regularly submit to you guys as individuals from time to time, and as a church from time to time, laying my objectives, my, my plans aside and coming up underneath yours and saying, how can I serve you? Because that's what submission looks like in the body of Christ. It looks like loving servanthood. And if I'm not a loving servant to individuals in this church and to the church at large, I have no business being a leader or, or an authority figure in the church, according to the Bible's definition of what this looks like. And we are told to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So out of reverence for Christ, we talked about Philippians 2. What did Jesus do? Jesus was God 
in the flesh. What did Jesus do? He was all authoritative. All authority in heaven and on earth was given to Jesus by God. What did Jesus do? Jesus was all-powerful. He could calm the seas when there was a, a huge storm that was going to capsize a boat. He could heal people. He, he raised people from the dead during his ministry. All-powerful, all-authoritative. What did Jesus do? He leveraged his power and his authority, and he submitted himself to the Father's will to die for our sins on the cross, taking on the very nature of a servant. He submitted in a very... He saw our need for a Savior, and he submitted to our need and gave his life. Out of reverence for Christ, we are to do the same. If even God did it, then how much more us? It's such a beautiful thing, and it's an amazing thought. Reverence for Jesus. We submit ourselves to one another in love. There is a a thing with submission, where we hear the word submission, submit, maybe you actually felt the terror of seeing the word on the PowerPoint slide. You know, we're just like, no, no, please, no. Not that. Actually, it was originally called Submission and Love in the Christian Household, but I switched it around to make it a little more palatable for when you first saw the slide, you know. I thought, maybe if I start with love, then it'll be a little softer and people will be, you know. I'm always thinking of you guys. You see this word, and the reason we have such a difficult time with the word, and I kind of wish we had a different word that we could use. It's the one the Bible uses, so I'm using it. Um, Is because in this world system in which we live, submission has become a very dark, very dark thing indeed. It's about domination. It's about taking away someone's power and crushing them to the floor. Like, you know, mixed martial artist fighters. Just... You see these guys, guys and girls beating the junk out of each other, and they just beat each other down to the point of almost death, and then they finally say, yeah, I, I, I call it, I, I submit, I win, you win, you know. But the word has very dark connotations in many different areas of society, and many very deviant and dark practices. Uh, even in sexuality, submission has become this really dark thing, and so we have a really hard time with it. And I I think it's very important when we talk about submission, we need to separate a worldly idea of submission from the definition of of submission found in the Bible. It's very important because uh, in this world system, it's talking about submission as power, power over someone, dominating someone. And when the Bible talks about submission, that's not really what it's talking about at all. I get this idea of of redefining power from Mark uh, 10, and I showed this to you last week. So in this passage, Jesus called the disciples together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. He's talking about a worldly idea of power. Rulers lording power over other people. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. When I read this, I almost hear Jesus, we don't know what the inflection of his voice was. I feel like he was bringing his disciples together understanding that they didn't understand how power works in the kingdom. And he's painting this picture. You know, those who are rulers, they lord over their people, their high officials exercise authority. Maybe the disciples were feeling pretty excited about this idea, being that they were disciples of Christ, and maybe they were going to be in a position of power. And he said, not so with you. You do not exercise power like the world exercises it. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. 
Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, that's a name for Christ, did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So in God's kingdom, where Jesus Christ is the king in our lives and in our church, submission is always separate from earthly ideas of power dynamics and the way that people that don't know God exercise and coerce each other and crush people into submission. It's a different thing entirely. In this world, this is what we think of when we hear submission. The worldly idea of power, headship, and authority. You do what I say. You're not being productive enough. You aren't, aren't falling in line underneath me enough. Just all this kind of stuff. But in Jesus' kingdom, it's upside down. It's flipped upside down. Biblical idea of power, headship, and authority is Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. And Jesus said in John, you see, I, who you call your master, I have done this. I've washed your feet. Now you go and do likewise. That is what leadership looks like. That is what authority looks like. That is what power looks like. We all have power. Men, women, children, we all have power. And the Bible is asking us, what will you choose to do with your power? What will you choose to do with your power? No one is powerless. How will you use your power in life? And Jesus, all-powerful, all-authoritative, all-power in heaven and earth, he cleaned animal feces off his disciples' feet. That's what he did with his power. This should be challenging. This could be a sermon all in itself. And really, last week it kind of was, so we can move on from that. But this is what we're talking about when we talk about power in the kingdom, when we're talking about submission in the kingdom. We saw last week we must first submit to God. And we read how the fruits of submission are so positive. You know, when we submit to God, the devil flees from us. Who wouldn't like that? You know, that'd be nice. When you really submit yourself to God 100% wholeheartedly, the devil's got no opportunity in your life because you're submitted to God. So if you're, having, if you're struggling with sin and all this different kind of stuff, submit to God because it's, don't give the devil a foothold in your life. He lifts you up. When you submit to God, he lifts you up. Uh, when you submit to God, it's as if the God of the universe reaches down, lifts up your head, which is downcast, and says, it's okay, I got this. Submitting to God. A broken heart and a contrite spirit, God has yet to deny. Uh, I love that, that phrase. God draws near to the, the humble. He elevates the humble, the proud he opposes, right? So this is all that, that stuff. We submit to God. And then, as I said, we're to submit to one another, regularly aligning ourselves underneath the objectives, the plans, the needs of other people around us uh, in community. We, we all do this with one another, from the sporadic attendee of new life to the head elder. We all do this. Uh, this is how we mirror Christ and then we submit to the authority figures that God has placed in our church. God has given pastors and given teachers. We read in Ephesians, and this is a disclaimer again, very self-serving, right? You submit to the authority that God's placed in the church because every authority that is established has been established by God ultimately. So we have these imperfect, I'm a case study of imperfection as a leader, right? Imperfect, not God, but out of reverence for Christ, we submit to these people and we uh, we do this uh, in Hebrews 13, we read, have confidence in your leaders, submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Aren't you glad you don't have to give an account for, the whole, for a whole church? That's something I get to do. So, um, Have confidence in your leaders, submit to their authority. They must keep watch over you as those who give an account. Do this so their work will be a joy, not a burden. 
for that would be of no benefit to you. I love that scripture. So it's, it's saying, you know, in any way that you can, submit to your leaders. And, and this does not look like being a doormat, but it looks like the, you have these imperfect people that represent the leadership of God in the church, that God has placed in the church. We submit to them out of reverence for Christ. And our submission to these earthly leaders is really us submitting to Jesus himself. It's a tactile way where we can look at people and say, you know, I'm, I'm submitted to God ultimately. I'm not, when I'm submitting to my leaders, I'm submitting to God. And we are, of course, imperfect. We are not God. And we need your support to, to lead the church. And we need your encouragement. We need your feedback. You know, I want to hear from everybody in this church, your thoughts, your concerns. We are blessed for, for listening to everybody in the body as leaders because we recognize we are not God. We recognize our authority is not earned. It's given by God. And, we, and we, we're, we are people that have to give an account for the church. So if there's something we're not seeing, you know, we want to hear from the church. We really do. Uh, we have that. And, and, and there are times when people will come to me and they'll share something with me about whatever, preaching, about the ministry, something that's going on. It's something that I might not have realized. It's something that I need to work on. And I know that. And I will submit to people's thoughts when I hear them. And it's, this is something that's from God for me. I need to listen to this. Does that make sense? So the elders, myself, we are people that are under authority. We're under the authority of Jesus Christ. We are, we are called to give an account for the church and how the church is doing. We are under the authority of the district office. David Lynn and Rome, New York, we're under the authority of the denomination. We're men under authority. And we submit to our authority as well. You can always talk to us about anything. So we, we, we submit to God, we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, and we submit to the authority that God's put in place. The topic of submission today is the, the ever-popular topic of submission in the household and what it looks like in a Christian household according to how God's instituted authority and headship. And uh, I just want to say, we need to rip our preconceived notions before we read this of what power dynamics look like in the world from this passage. Everything that I've talked about in regard to submission, hippotasso, and what that looks like in terms of authority in the church and how we are to exercise authority, that has to be kept in mind because with a passage like this, it's something that's difficult for modern ears to hear, but it is the scripture. And it's something that we have to really listen to with fresh ears because it can be challenging to listen to. And we need to rip away uh, from earthly power dynamics, rip away from the stories that we've heard or even the stories that we've unfortunately experienced where things have gone awry. My thought is that with this teaching, there are some people that wholeheartedly agree to this teaching and they put it in, into practice to some extent, but they're not really living up to the ideal of Scripture. This is, I, I don't think there's many people that actually live up, even if they agree with it theologically, I don't think many people live up to this. So this is something that I think that we need to listen to, we need to kind of divorce from our experience and our preconceived notions, and we need to just listen to it with fresh ears. So this is Ephesians 5, 21 through 33. If you'd like to read along, you certainly can. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husband in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, 
to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ feeds and cares for the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am speaking of Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. It's a difficult passage for modern ears to listen to. Many times we picture times that uh, a scripture like this was abused, where abuse happened in in a relationship. Uh, We substitute the word submission with lesser partner in our brains. We do kind of a a massive fill-in-the-blank game with with the Bible, and we, we substitute words out. And, uh, and we, we miss what's, what's going on. We picture wives submitting to abusive husbands in situations that they should have gotten out a long time ago, like, like domestic situations, but sticking around uh, even though abuse is happening you know, because of a scripture like this. We think about these kind of horrible situations that can happen. We think about the sordid history of sexism in our culture and the reality of income inequality that's still a problem in our world today, things that are unjust uh, that happen in the world. There are thousands of women that would look at a passage like this and think, this is, this is not a good thing. And there's thousands of men that would give those women a just cause for thinking that. And that's, that's the reality. But I've gone through great pains to, to represent this idea of submission and authority God has instituted according to the ideal of Scripture. And I don't want to throw away all of this work we've done on this, on this idea when it comes to the Christian household. Like I said, this is an ideal in Scripture that many people agree with, but not many people live up to. And I think I want to explore this a little closer, and I want to look at uh, how we can look at this, this very clear idea, and we can uh, apply it and try to live up to God's ideal for us, because it's for our good when we do that, when we find out what is really being said. We don't try to avoid it, but we find out what's really being said and try to live up to God's ideal. N.T. Wright, it's a writer that I really enjoy, he says this, If this guideline, or household authority structures from Ephesians 5, still seems outrageous to us in today's culture, we need to ask ourselves the question, do our modern societies in which marriage is often a tragedy or a joke really offer a better model of how to do it? Does the specter of broken homes littering modern Western culture indicate that we've got it right and tell the rest of human history how we finally resolved the battle of the sexes? Or does it indicate that we still have some rethinking to do somewhere? That's a quote that I definitely agree with. The family, the household, has not really been done better by the world. Christians in the world are often just not doing very well with the household, and everyone kind of, you know, criticizes each other. But at the end of the day, we have the ideal of Scripture, and I think this is something we should listen to because we honestly haven't really seen many examples of of it being done better elsewhere. But I guess the concept I really want to, to get across to you is that when wives submit to their husbands. And when husbands love their wives as Christ loves the church, it is a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful picture of the gospel. And I would say that when wives are submitting to their husbands and husbands are loving their wives as Christ 
loves the church, when people on the outside look at that situation, they probably wouldn't even be able to tell who was submitting to who and who, you know, who was doing what because it just looks like pure love to people on the outside. When this ideal is being followed properly, it's something that is so beautiful that people actually can see the gospel in it. But I will say this. If a husband fails to live up to the ideal of this scripture, and all of us fall short in many ways, but if, if particularly the husband fails to live up to the ideal of this scripture for the household of loving his wife as Christ loves the church, then the whole thing is kind of ruined. It really is. So with that, all that in mind, let's go back to the beginning of the passage and make our way through it and, and talk through it together. We're going to go back to Ephesians five twenty-one to 24. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands and to, as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. What this is saying is, wives, by an act of your will, by your own God-given gift of choice, place yourself underneath the spiritual headship and leadership of your husband. This does not mean remaining silent and all these kinds of ideas that we we think about when we talk about this, or blindly obeying your husband as your family walks off of a cliff. (laughs) It means being someone who your husband can work cooperatively with as he takes on the responsibility to lead the family. Your husband, wives, will give an account to God whether he knows it or not. Maybe this is news to you guys. Because you are head of the, head of the family, as, as I am, you know, um, functioning in spiritual authority over the church, you will give an account for your family before God. You will be responsible. And women can use their God-given power of choice to make their husband the best leader for the family that he can be to ensure that the family is successful, to be someone that he can work cooperative, cooperatively with as he takes on the responsibility for the family. Wives can use their words to build up their husband, uh, or they can use their words to tear him down. Uh, wives have incredible power in this relationship. Uh, they can offer loving advice. They can, they can be respectful. They can create conditions where the husband can do the best job possible. And respect for, for a husband, and really for anyone, it's like water. It's like water to the soul. You know, when someone feels like they're being respected, when they're not torn down, that's what this pastor is saying. You can either, women can either make their family great by, uh, by, by being someone that their husband can work with as he tr- works on leading the family, or they can use their power to dominate their husbands, tear him down with words, demoralize him, make him feel like he can't get anything right. It's up to the wife. And it's her God-given choice whether she's going to use her social power in that family to build up or to tear down. And I think that in, in, a, in a healthy system, the wife, offers it, the wife just has to keep in mind to, you know, offering advice, offering help, talking through things, understanding that you know, the husband's going to give an account to God for how he leads things. So anything that a wife can do to, to warn her husband from keeping everyone to making everyone walk off a cliff and all that different kind of stuff. Anything a wife can do to work cooperatively with him, with her, with her words and with her power and to respect him, it's going to go a long way. And I think that's what this uh, passage is saying. 
And I really like how in this passage, tucked away in it, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. So, you know, I think, I think what it's saying is it, it, it's hinting at the, the reality of what a husband's responsibility is in the family. The husband's responsibility is to give his love self-sacrificially for the benefit of the wife and the family, uh, in, in, in his family. And so with that in mind, wives are asked to support, to be someone that the husband can work with, to, 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 to lift up, to build up, to warn, to, to just be a cooperative partner in the family situation. Uh, using your power to lift up and build up uh, the, the man in your house. Uh, moving on to the next section. Uh, that, that's, that's a difficult thing for, uh, for many people, but you know, the, the, the husbands have quite a, quite a large paragraph uh, for themselves. And uh, this is in verse 25. It says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his, own, his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. Husbands, according to God's household structure, your job is to love your wife. As Christ loved the church. So how did Christ love the church? It says it right in in the passage, right? He gave himself up for her. He died for her. Uh, So when asked, you know, how a husband is to love his wife, uh, the answer is anything up to and including death for your wife. And I think the up to and including is an important thing because a lot of us are not going to die for our wives in in our lifetime. But everything up to and including death, you are to do for the church. This is why when people from the outside look in at a Christian household, they shouldn't see this kind of worldly power and authority being wielded. What they should see is just pure love. The husband is loving self-sacrificially up to and including the point of death for his family. And the wife is loving her husband and and, and encouraging him, submitting to his leadership, making his leadership less burdensome, making him a better leader for the family. It just looks like pure love. So as if that wasn't motivation enough, this idea that of, uh, you know, you should love your, your wife as Christ loved the church, giving your life up for her, I'd like to turn to uh, 1 Peter 3, 7. This is a, a passage that talks more about husbands. It says, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner. Now, I looked this up. Weaker partner means physically smaller. Women are typically, typically not always, physically smaller than men. So this passage is saying, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the physically smaller person, so be respectful, and as an heir with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. So that's pretty good motivation. I don't know of too many uh, passages of Scripture that actually say that your prayers are going to be hindered by something. But according to 1 Peter, when husbands are not considerate with their wives, uh, when they do not treat them with respect when they're rough with them or whatever it might be, don't treat them and value them as an equal co-heir in the gracious gift of life, then their prayers are going to be hindered. I think that if you don't treat your wife with respect as a co-heir in Christ, as a complete equal before God, Jesus isn't going to hear your lousy prayer. That's all there is to it. You got to snap into shape. So if you shout as a man, you know, big, 
phys- again, physically larger, um, just by virtue of your birth, not by virtue of any kind of special gift or ranking as far as humans are, value is concerned. If you, if you shout, throw your weight around, get physical, or otherwise do anything that violates your wife or your family, God is not listening to your prayer until you shape up and repent. And I think that that's an important thing to, to take into account. Our, our leadership is to be servant leadership in the home. It's to be leadership to the point of dying for our wife and our kids. And if, and if we are not leading in that kind of way, we can't hope to be um, honoring God. And we, can't, we can't assume that our prayers are being heard. So that's a very interesting thing. So those are, those are two different motivations. As Christ loved the church, he gave his life for her, and so that your prayers will not be hindered. This is pretty good stuff. The amazing thing about loving your wife as Christ loved the church is if you think about how Christ loved the church, Christ's love for the church was actually an act of submission to God. Christ submitted to God's will for the salvation of the, of the church. Christ saw the need of the church for a savior, and Christ actually placed himself underneath he submitted to the need of the church, and he died on the cross by an act of his will. So in a, in a way, even in his headship, even in his leadership, Christ was submitting to our need for a Savior when he died on the cross. This is a, a really good teaching. It's a really high ideal. It's something that most people, like I said, even if they agree with it, they don't necessarily live up to it. And actually, none of us will live up to it. But this is something we need to work on. People that... Sometimes people that are the loudest voices of saying, this is the way it's supposed to be, blah, 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 they're the ones that are not living to, up to it the best because they don't understand how authority and power works in the church. And so they're not loving their wife as Christ loved the church. And, and, and that is, that's a travesty. So this is an ideal, whether you agree with it or not, uh, it's an ideal of scripture and it's something that we're called to live up to and, and, and we all need to examine ourselves and see how we're living up to this loving and submitting as Christ does to the church. So, wives, with the power that God's given you, submit uh, to your own husbands as unto the Lord by an act of your will. And husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church, even to the point of giving your life for her by an act of your will. Take your personal agenda, your objectives, your priorities, and plans, and regularly place them underneath your wife and your family's needs Lower your needs and lift up those of your wife and family. And that is a picture of the love that Christ has for the church. You know, many people would object to this teaching. There might even be people sitting here who look at this as a... uh, They'll they'll read this and they'll say, Yeah, I'm going to love my wife as soon as she starts submitting to me. Wrong idea. Wrong idea. That's really bad. Uh, Likewise... Wives would read this and say, well, I'll submit to him once he's worth submitting to. He's not, he's not really worth submitting to for many different reasons. And so as soon as he starts getting around to loving me like Christ loved the church, I'll get around to submitting to him. The thing is, it takes two to tango, right? Uh, relationships are, are a total dance. Really, it requires both the wife and the husband to give 100% effort at all times. That's how, that's how marriage works. It's a hundred, a hundred equation. So husbands need to love their wives like Christ loved the church, a hundred percent, no, regardless of the wife's perspective on this thing. That's really important because when you do your part, if this passage is understood correctly, um, it, will, it will, by necessity, as you start to dance differently in the relationship, this, this analogy of dancing, the other person has to change somehow. The other person has to change. 
So when you start loving, when you start being, being more cooperative, husbands, wives, you are going to force by just changing the way you're behaving, the other person to change the way that they're behaving. That's just something that's going to happen. Now, that's not ideal that it would happen this way, but what I'm saying is, and, and ultimately, the reason that we submit to our husbands or love our wives as Christ loved the church, uh, the reason that we do this, at the end of the day, is out of reverence for Christ, who was God, and he submitted himself to death on the cross for our salvation. So we're, we're doing this even without getting a reward from doing it, quote-unquote, because it's just the right thing to do. It's out of reverence for Jesus that we do it. We don't do it to try and manipulate the other person into acting correctly. We do it out of reverence for Christ, and that's our responsibility. But in my estimation, if I were to say, who is to be the leader in the household? Let's just apply it right now. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. That's your responsibility to do that and to take the lead in that, husbands. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. If, you're, if you call yourself a leader, if you fancy yourself a leader, if you look at this and say, yeah, I guess biblically I'm the head of the family, then for crying out loud, act like it. This is your responsibility. When there's issues in the family and different things going on, lift up your wife and your children, love them as Christ loved the church, set aside your agenda, your priorities, uh, the things that you would like in order to come underneath, come underneath and lift up the things that your wife and ki- would benefit your wife and children. That's your responsibility. When there is an argument or there's a disagreement, be the first to humble yourself and admit your, your part in it. I think that's good for both partners to do that. But particularly, if you're the husband, you call yourself a leader, I say, you know, regardless of who you think is most at fault, own your peace, not with this idea of, you know, I have this tiny little responsibility, I'll own my peace, and then she better, you know, admit to her part of it. No. You own your peace. You be a leader. Be a leader in the house. Be a leader in disagreements. Um, this is something that I've put into practice in my household since I got married. It was in my wedding vows to my wife. I said to her, I I promise to always lead in reconciliation. And those words reverberate in my head every time we have a a fight or an issue in our our family. I always remember, humble yourself. Find your responsibility in the situation and confess it and ask for forgiveness, regardless of what happens. And you know, the interesting thing about how blind pride makes you is that you think that your part is 1% and their part is 99%. But when you humble yourself and you confess your part, about 10 minutes later, you realize that you are more like 60%. And you can't believe that you're holding that person hostage over an apology. You know what I mean? It's, it's just absolutely incredible. And that's a good principle for husbands and wives to follow. Uh, both. The husband, if you call yourself the leader of your house, you need to lead in being a humble servant. You need to lead in confessing when you have messed up and taking ownership of that stuff. And, and all of this, again, is out of reverence for Jesus Christ. And as I said before, if a Christian marriage is is functioning well, uh, wives being cooperative, submitting to their husbands, husbands loving their wife self-sacrificially like Christ loved the church, that, that is working well. The amazing thing about it is the Bible says it spreads the gospel. It spreads the good news of Jesus Christ. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, in verse 31, and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery that I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. It's a picture when this is going well, when this unity is happening, when this one fleshness is happening uh, of Christ in the church. When people look into that marriage, 
they say, there's something different going on here. This is something otherworldly. Uh, this ideal that God has for marriage, when this is happening correctly, people see Jesus Christ. It's very mysterious, but it's absolutely the truth. And so, as this passage encourages us, love your wife, respect your husband, be one flesh, work cooperatively together. When you are married, you're considered one, one flesh. <laughs> um, work cooperatively with yourself, and the world will see Jesus Christ in it. So I challenge all of you, whether married or unmarried, uh, whether you're un- when you're unmarried, um, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's what you do. We submit to each other all the time. Uh, from, the, from the least in the world, world's eyes to the greatest, we all submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And to the, to the married, um, take your marriage really seriously. Um, as one who will be, be held accountable for its health and how it either proclaims or gets in the way of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, it's a mark of being filled with the Holy Spirit to be submissive and to work uh, within that system and to represent Jesus uh, through it. And so that's, that's the teaching of God. We're going to pray, and the worship team is going to come forward. And the, the song I asked them to play was uh, Once Again. And this is a song about the servant leadership of Jesus. Though he had all authority and power, he emptied himself and became obedient to death, submitting to the, world, to the church's need the world's need for a Savior. And He is our model in everything, whether we are, no matter what our part is in all of this. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this teaching of Scripture. I thank you for uh, bringing your enlightenment to, to the, to the uh, words and a deeper understanding. I pray that you would bless us all as we go forward to be servants and to love as Christ loved, uh, taking our power, taking our choice, and everything that you've given us and turning it around to serve others out of reverence for how Jesus so served us. We give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Out of reverence for Jesus Christ and his great love for us, um, we humbly submit to you, Master Jesus. And we promise, Lord, that we will try to live up to this ideal that you have set so high to love um, as Christ loved the church, to submit ourselves as Christ submitted even to our needs as a church and lifted us up out of the muck and mire and set our feet on solid ground. Uh, we, we bless your name. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for your example. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dispersed. Go and be the church. <laughs>